Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today is Seabass from WNWS of Jackson, Tennessee. This episode presented by the Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water. The Well is a coffee house with the mission to bring clean water to the world. To date, over 30 communities across the globe now have access to safe water, health, and hope. You can also make an impact by visiting a Well Coffee House location today. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills, Downtown, and Bellevue. You can get more information about The Well at wellcoffeehouse.org. The Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We also thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Our news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a local injury law firm committed to helping those who have been injured in accidents. If you or someone you know has been in a wreck or other accident, reach out to Sutherland and Belk and see what your rights are. You can find their contact info online at SB Injury Law. Well, Vanderbilt loses again in men's basketball, falling to Alabama by 15 in Memorial Gym on Wednesday night. That is now 25 straight losses against Southeastern Conference teams for the men's program. The bright spot, Dylan DeSue, who had 21 points in that. That is a career high for the freshman. Our guest line, presented by Bowlin Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I've slept on their sheets for years. They're amazing. Had no clue what I was missing until I got them. The sheets are also fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Seabass joins us from WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee, where he is a sports talk show host. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, and sex symbol. That kind of goes without saying. Yeah, and sex symbol. Well, just for our podcast friends who haven't had an opportunity to witness me in, public, in person. So there you go. They know by the voice alone that you were very sexy. So Pretty much, sir. Yes, sir. How you doing today, my friend? I'm all right, just counting down to baseball season and formulating survival strategies. That kind of sums it up right now. <laughs> Did you say you're going to be on Survivor? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that may pay more bills than the Vandy beat. Oh, but. Lordy Lou, my friend, I hear you. Who would you take from, uh, if you had to take from the campus with you, if you could take two people from campus on Survivor with you? To help you survive, who would it be? Honest to God, I've never watched that show, so I don't know exactly how it works. I've only seen it like three or four times, but I get the gist of it. One of them would be Tim Corbin. If he can make the, what he's done out of this, so he can do anything, keep you, he can keep you alive anytime. Yeah, Tim Corbin's always a good answer for anything. Mm-hmm. And the other one would have been, even though he's not on campus right now, would have been Carson Fulmer. Yeah, that was... <laughs> my anybody favorite give any lip they can, anybody give me any lip they can deal with cars they talk to him about it. he was probably my favorite athlete to ever cover there i could see that you know i, I remember uh, one time I the, they were panning the, the 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 dugout and i think a couple of, uh, of the other players were doing a little tomfoolery or whatever and carson kind of shot him a look and i mean they whipped straight into you know that didn't last long he gave him the uh i got i'm running this look and that was it 
I was doing a thing on our all-decade team. I don't know if you had a chance to read that. Carson was our number one starting pitcher. I had Chris Mahaffey and New York Door both chimed in. And we all picked Carson as our number one starter. And I was looking this up, and I could not find it. It's, it's amazing how much info, like you think in the world of internet and Google, you could find stuff easily. Carson, the last game that he ever pitched for Vanderbilt, it was that game one of the 2015 College World Series. He was sick. I want to say had the flu or something like that or had some kind of a fever. I want to say he had like a 101, 102-degree temperature and pitched with it. I went back and Googled, and I, I know I wrote about it, but I couldn't find it. And I Googled the Tennessean had something on it, and they talked about, I think, him pitching sick, but it wasn't very detailed. But I will always remember that about him. He had a fever of some sort, didn't tell anybody, and pitched that game. And, of course, you know, in Omaha in in late June, it's really hot there. So that just, to me, encapsulates him. And, And, by the way, he was very good in that game. That was the one game that they won in the 2015 final against Virginia, I was still shocked that they couldn't finish that out. But that, to me, was his defining moment. Last year, if you could have, let's just say for some crazy reason, they played on the team together at the same time. And it was game three, and Michigan's got their A. So I guess that part doesn't matter. And you have either a healthy Carson Fulmer or a healthy Kumar rocker who you handed the ball to. I need one game. I just need one game, Chris. That's all I need. As much as I love Carson, I would take rocker. And here's why I wonder now. I mean, I, I think Carson, Carson would have been great no matter what, but they had the higher scene baseballs then, which when he would throw that slider or whatever that breaking ball was that he would spike and nobody could hit. That took advantage of those seams. So I think that was a little – I mean, Carson, like I said, was going to be great anyway, and he was a Golden Spikes finalist that year. I'm not taking anything away from him. But that made him a little bit more effective, I think. Kumar, I think, is just the best player they've ever had, the most talented. And the thing that I kept watching and seeing over and over again – is his arm slide and where the ball came out, nobody had any idea whether the fastball or the slider was coming. And because of that, they were just flailing and guessing the entire time. And once he figured that out at the end of the season, nobody could hit that. I'm just thinking that is sort of bulletproof in any era. I think I would take Kumar, but Carson, man, had a had an incredible body of work. And like I said, was was a competitor – to the nth degree, I don't think anybody I ever covered was more competitive than Carson. Now, there's some guys that I would put up there. Price is one. Sonny Gray is one. Jay Cutler is one. But I don't think I could put anybody past him. Although Kumar Rocker, I have a feeling, is right up there in that discussion too. I think that's the answer that I probably would have had. Of course, you know, if you had them two pitching at the same exact time, you'd almost be guaranteed the national championship. It wouldn't matter which one of them had it. Right. And honorable mention in that, I don't know how much discussion this has gotten, but, well, you know this because you're a Padres fan, and this was out there privately for a while before it went public. Drake Fellows was pitching with cancer last year. Or if he wasn't pitching with it, he got it not long after 
the season was over. And you remember how well he pitched against Louisville in his last game? Oh, yeah. Well, not his last. I guess he pitched against Michigan. It wasn't as good. But I'm like, man, hats off to that dude. Not just for pitching well against a great lineup on a hot day, but I'm having to think right now, at that time, even if he did not know what was going on, he could not have been pitching, I'm guessing, at 100% more than likely. You you, you wouldn't think. So have, have has there been any kind of updates for him? I think that Austin Martin put something on his Instagram that maybe made it to Twitter that said that he's cancer-free. Um, so I hope that's true. You know how cancer sometimes has a habit of, of returning, and I, I pray for him that that's, that's it. Yeah, no question about that. Hopefully hopefully he'll, he'll get a clean bill of health going forward, man. No, no doubt. I've always liked her. I've always enjoyed watching him play. Yeah, it makes me respect those guys. I mean – just to, to pitch and to put in the work and the time and the stuff they do to, to push themselves to the limits and then battling the stuff that those guys battled on top of it, that was really incredible to watch. By the way, how many days away from the start of the season? I know you know. 23. 23 days. You hyped up? Yeah, very. Man. Yeah, you deserve this, man. Yeah, just taking three weeks. Everything's about to change. So if I could, before you say anything, I want to make a public plea. Um, This is only from me, and it is straight to Tim Corbin. Uh, Coach, I know it's a lot to ask, but I need another great, great season for my man Chris here. He's he's been having to dig a tough beat sports-wise over the last about six, seven months. And if you could find it in your heart, I don't, you ain't even got to win it all, but I would be fine too. Uh, just have another great season. So my man can have something positive to, to talk about. I will tell you right now, we are going to milk baseball like we have never milked it. You may see unprecedented coverage of, of midweek games with Western Kentucky and stuff like that, just because at this point, what else? Mm. I just, man, see, that's all. I just wish, and, and again, you know I love the door. You know I do, and I'm certainly going to pull them all the time. I just don't have the passion for the baseball on the college level like I do the other two. I want to. I do. I mean, if this was football, I'd be in heaven now, you know, for, but it's not. But I do enjoy it. I, I mean, I don't, if, if they lose a game, I'm not going to throw something. I'm not going to be up. It's not going to ruin my weekend. I won't be happy about it. But like when we lose a football game, I, I can't watch Sports Center. You can't watch it. I'm not Sports Center. Not that they would be on Sports Center. Uh, you know, I can't watch any of the post game stuff or listen to it. Or it's hard to even read some of that stuff. But with the baseball, love them. They just don't have that burning, you know, that that, that burning desire uh, to be so great that you have for the other two. Well, at one point. I don't know, 12, 15, even as far back as probably 01 or 02. I was thinking of trying to get into the writing business, but I wanted to do it as like a baseball writer or a fantasy baseball writer or something like that. So before I even had this opportunity, that's what I'd been thinking. I I think back to like if I had to do college and my 20s over with what would I have done I probably would have pursued journalism and my dream job would have maybe been to get a job as a beat writer for a major league team although I would not have been I don't think mature enough to handle that but back in my 20s I had the energy to travel and stuff like that and I think like if if I had some lives to do over again do you ever think like if, if I had 
10 lives, like I could cast my lots in different ones and see what takes. I think that would have been one of them. I would have liked to have been like a Major League Baseball beat writer or something along those lines or MLB Network or something like that. I'm not even even claiming that I have the talent to do that, but I'm saying like if, if I could pick anything, that probably would have been it. So it is fortunate for me that I've got this baseball beat in front of me because it plays into the stuff that I already like anyway. I'm already doing what I would do. The only thing different that I would do, I would have another gig to go along with it. The thing that I would love to do the most, I think, sport from a sports standpoint, is I would love to be Joe Fisher's color commentator for football. Even right now? Me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would want to pull all my hair out, but yeah. First of all, I think Joe is phenomenal. And I think he'd be a lot of fun to work with. And yeah, yeah, sure. This won't last forever, Chris. It won't. We're, we're kind of knee deep in it now, but it, it, this won't last forever. It won't always be this horrible. Well, we, we also said that last year after basketball. I mean, look, I'll put it to you like this. When Robbie Caldwell was at the press conference talking about pig something, and, and and Bobby Johnson left. Did you ever think that there was a time coming in the next few years where you were going to go to three straight bowl games and win nine games in two straight seasons and that the only team in the SEC over that period, over that two-year period that won more games than you was Alabama? Did you think that that was possible? No. Don't, I dare you to say yes. No, but there was a difference. I think with Robbie, you know, everybody figured he was a short-termer, so you're like, okay, they're at least going to get a restart. And when you get a restart, even if it doesn't go well, there's a little bit of a honeymoon period. And, and by the way, there are differences in covering this as a fan and as a writer that I'm, I'm going to bounce into here in just a second. But I think you at least knew there was an escape hatch. So like, if it didn't work, they'd move on to the next guy. And the next guy can usually buy a couple more years of – at least there's some hope and there's a path to this, unless he's super incompetent. I think the difference now is in football, I think everybody feels stuck, especially with the contracts. I mean, if you make me predict right now, I'm going to say Mason's back for 2021. I know what that's like. I mean, I've been dealing with this since 2014. I've been hearing the same excuses for him in 2020 that I heard in 2014, it's like he's got some sort of immunity, almost. And this is probably hyperbole, and again, this is this is just opinion, right? But I think that everything has a different feel with that. And look, I know as a fan, this is misery for the fan base. For a writer, it's not like I sit up in the press box at games and go, Oh, crud, they're about to lose in, in my heart. No, that's that's not how I process. I sit there, and I just kind of watch and observe, and I'm, I'm pretty detached. But the problem as a writer and a podcaster is I have to do this every day, and I have to look for angles. And your job is to tell the truth, but you don't want to depress everybody either, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I found myself lately just suppressing details and things just because I don't want to be that guy. And then when they start coming out, People are like, well, why didn't you tell us this? And I think, well, if I if I told you that then, one of two things would have been happened. It would have been like, stop this, you're depressing us. Or or maybe sometimes I get this, because I've gotten this a lot in the past. You've seen it. When I've been that, that negative guy out there, when nobody else is, and a lot of times it's because I know what's going on. 
And and then you get questioned and you have to explain yourself. And then you find yourself either either defending yourself or arguing with people and you're like in the back of your head, well, I, I know why I had this opinion, but I can't really defend it because X or Y got to me in confidence. It just turns into a nightmare from a writing seminar. Like at least when a game is over, I mean, I get it. It sucks as a fan to lose, but you guys get to go home and you take it a different level of pain. You, you take that with you that, that I don't, but okay, I've got to figure out how do I do this? How do I cover this season? I've got two months left in basketball. We both know exactly what's going to happen. And, and I look down and I go, okay, I've got at least another year of that in football, probably at least two. The only way that changes is if they change coaching staffs. And then I look at basketball and I go, okay, there aren't recruits coming in. So next year's going to be bad because everybody thinks Neesmith is gone, which I do too probably. We'll, we'll see. But if he's gone, that the next year you could be looking at another last place finish in the conference. And, and, and then if they get good recruits next year, then it's like, well, okay, by the time those guys are juniors, then maybe they can do something. I look at the landscape for sports, and outside of baseball, I've never seen anything like this. And then you throw the facilities in the middle of it, which are very much up in the air. You should have seen the text I got this week. I feel like I'm giving people the PG-13 version of this, and I just look at it and I go, how am I going to do this the next couple of years unless I just max out baseball? And I know I got a good bit of the audience that doesn't care about that. So, again, I, I, that's where I get stuck. It's, it's, it's hard for our listeners on one level, and I get that. I totally get it. But for me, there are, there are other complications that go with it as well that make it really tough. Well, I think that, but like I said, it won't. It just, the concept has changed. It will eventually change sometime. I don't know if that means better or worse what, but uh, it will change uh, eventually. The only thing that's different is like for most teams in a conference, like uh, just to say with football, you know, if things start going bad, they are a higher away from fixing that. Like, let's say with Mississippi State, potentially, you know, you could tell some things are starting to head down a little bit with more head there's a chance that just by bringing in Mike Leach, their fortunes can change. It's not a guarantee, but it's certainly a possibility. It could fix what else. We could go hire a good coach, you know, today. And, you know, what Franklin did was frankly amazing. I mean, I, I don't care how you slice it. And, I don't, and people could talk about the other teams, the conference being down, you know, hey, it happens. It is what it is. What he did was amazing, but – those schools need only make that hire. That would only partially fix the problem if we went out and did find a great coach. You know, that would only partially fix a, a, a major problem because we still got to fight our own school. You know, so I don't think anybody, any other program can really relate to that. Not truly. Not, not in our conference because everybody else is trying to get to the top as best they possibly can, and we're not. Uh, and that's strange. There's no question to say, but it's the truth. Uh, so yeah, it'd be a whole lot tougher, but I mean, it won't be all it, oh, it, Chris, it just won't, it won't always be quite this bleak. I just wish it would hurry up and get to that part. Was that the part we were supposed to cheer everybody up? <laughs> yeah, let me tell you something. I heard these podcasts. I don't like them, but it's no one's fault. I would love to say this and that and this and that, but they wouldn't, it wouldn't be true. And the people that listen to this podcast, right. 
you know what I mean? And, and they're going to insult those intelligence. I'm just waiting for something that is true. Yeah. Now, one thing that is true this off season, you know, we we'll talk about some positive things. There are some this off season. I've really felt like maybe more so than any other season, because one thing that coach Mason has not been shy of, and that's changing assistant coaches, the, the replacements and their potential from, from this hiring cycle has been, I think the best since he's been here. You somehow you get Ted Roof come in and be your defensive coordinator. Uh, Fitch is the, the play caller. Uh, they got the young man from uh, was Aaron Henry. I think Aaron Henry, the the young man from uh, North Carolina State, who was co- considered one of the top thirty under thirty, supposed to be a pretty good recruiter. And then get to, getting you Daisy from uh, from LSU, the former NFL player, who's supposed to be a pretty good recruiter too. Getting the the linebacking position. We'll see as far as coaches goes, but seems to be some good recruiters and some names that people were looking at. Well, frankly, I, I've been kind of a little bit surprised at some of the people that they've actually been able to attract here, but I'm not going to pretend that that's not a positive in the off season because I, frankly, I think from a coaching standpoint, we've, we've maybe even significantly upgraded if, if for roof, if for roof alone. There's a, uh, <laughs> there's a Bill Murray, Dalai Lama comment in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> so we got that going for us, <laughs> but, but I mean, don't you agree? I mean, yeah, you can't be at the point. You cannot possibly be at the point where you cannot even look and see that that Ted Roof is is is, is not a massive improvement over Jason Tarver. Come on, you have to be past that. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you an analogy. I got a treadmill for Christmas, which I gave myself. Okay. Okay, you bought yourself a treadmill, for which which has been a wonderful investment, by the way. Very highly recommended. This is the best I've felt in years since I've been running again. For a couple of weeks, but, and I have some issues with the treadmill, like the belt tends to go to the left and the right, uh, and, and I'm always tweaking that and, and doing things like that, but if the motor goes out, it doesn't matter what I do with the belt, or it doesn't matter anything else that I do, if I have it plugged in or whatever, and I just, I look at these as, as tweaks to the treadmill belt that don't matter when the motor's bad. What's the motor in this case? Is the motor Kirkland? Is the motor is the motor Derek Mason? Who who are you talking about? Yes. I I mean I get the answer, but I mean, but Chris, I mean, if if we can fixate on 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 the negative, and there's a pounds of it, when some positive additions happen, we have to be able to analyze and recognize that. You know, what will it turn out to be? What will it mean? I don't know. You know, at the end of the day, you have to have the horses in this conference. There's just no way around that. And I certainly get that. But, I mean, I've been pretty impressed in the sense that because these are some pretty decent coaches that have other options. What is making them come to this situation? Because clearly they're not stupid people. Uh, And again, they have other options. Why are they choosing to come here? Are they hearing things that you and I have not heard? you know, that, that are coming in the future, because look, I mean, if, if I'm someone like a Ted Roof and I have other options, why would I attach myself here? If I, if I know it's set up for utter failure, that only drops my stock. What's, what are they hearing that's making them say, okay, let's see what you got. 
Well, they paid Ted Roof, from what I've been told, a million a year, which is great money for a coordinator. I'm guessing for, that's the carrot sure. that's being used. Because, look, well, if, you, if you come to Vanderbilt and fail for a year or two and you're, for, you're Ted Roof, you just go and you get another job, right? But wouldn't you admit that, uh, and I know it's Ted Roof, but if he comes here and they finish 98th overall in defense – that that only serves for him to trend downwards. You know, he, he had a top, what, 25 defense at Abbey State last year? You know, I mean, and I get the money. I, I understand that aspect of it all. But if I'm somebody like him and I think there's no chance for, you know, success here, if I'm not hearing the right things, I'm looking big picture and I'm thinking, well, that's great. But if it's only for a year or so, this dude gets canned after a year. If he does, if he doesn't, who knows? I don't know that it would be worth it to me. Ted Roof's not 25 years old. So I don't know. Uh, but I just like the fact that in the Henry kid, I mean, it's a, I say kid, 30 years old. And you days, I mean, these are, you know, these are young coaches that, like I said, have other options. I think, I know this will be you days' first full-time position job. You know, he's, I think he was an analyst last year for LSU. But you got to start somewhere, Chris. And the, I'll, I'll tell you what. Because what I'm hearing from you is you might as well just go get somebody from a middle school, you know, who ain't who has never coached because the situation's so bad. So who cares? I mean, because that's what it sounds like. I mean, will we get something positive? I mean, if you're going to hold this thing together as far as talking about this this crazy sport, this athletic department, you've got to be able to. Uh, when these things fall into, I don't say fall in our lap, but when these things happen, we got to be able to appreciate that. No, I agree, but I do think who the guy who runs your organization is the most important guy. And somebody said something to me a year or two ago, because I used to think that when people made comments about his speech and things like that, that was being nitpicky and silly and, and kind of frankly mean, and sometimes it is, right? But... Somebody also put it to me this way. It's also indicative of how prepared he is for stuff. And you just get the impression as you're sitting there listening to him that he never has a plan for anything, really. And really what he's most prepared for is to point fingers in other places to keep his job. I mean, right now, that's his best skill is, is keeping his job and knowing who to throw on the fire in order to do that. So, I'll put it this way. You never know, right? And, and all the things that you just said are true. But until I see evidence that he's more prepared with clock management, with how he manages his program, all those things, it's just hard to believe that when your leader is not in a spot where he needs to be, and, and pr- frankly, a lot of people think not working as hard as he needs to be, I just have a hard time thinking that doesn't drag it all down. That's a very pessimistic take, and I get it, but it is also squared with how things have played out. What it was really, honestly, I saw too much of 2014 again in 2020, and there's no way that should happen six mm. years into your head coaching tenure. I just, I'm sorry. It would be great to sit here and tell everybody here's reasons why this is going to get better, but I've got to be honest about what I see. And I just don't see it. I agree with that. 
But, I mean, if you can't see that Ted Roof is a massive improvement over Jason Tarver, I don't know what to say. I think it makes some small improvements, but what did they get outscored last year? For the season, well, 200, 200, 200 something points. If you start doing the math on that, how many points do those things shave off? I, I don't really understand. All things being equal, how much of a difference does a good defensive coordinator make in catching them up on the scoreboard? Man, I, it, could, it could make a lot. Is it 100 I mean, points? Well, no, who knows? Because what yeah. we're talking about here is we're talking about uh, possibilities of, of, of scheme tweaks. I don't think you can have a full scheme change and in one year expect to have a uh, a successful overhaul, but maybe he puts them in the in the better positions. Maybe he, he uses their strengths and utilizes it more where Jason Tarver did not. And who knows what kind of difference that makes, you know? You know, I don't know now. I'm not fixing to come over here and tell you that we're going to be you know, the 85 bears next year by any stretch of imagination, because we don't have the personnel for that yet. But I think it's worth a, a good bit. The improvement between him and, and Jason Tarver is worth a, a, a decent amount, you know, and may, and who knows, maybe that's the difference in a game or two. Now, not maybe last year, because when we usually, when we lost, we didn't just lose, we got our butts kicked, but by that time, the wheels had already fallen off. You know, so I, I don't know. I just I just know this. I'll take that all day long over some assistant that nobody else wanted from someplace I never heard of. If you're going to host this podcast, you're going to have to stop or start asking me better questions. I ask the best question. <laughs> that, that is the first thing that you need to know. But by the way, the, num- uh, the numbers last year, they scored 198 and gave up 381. So they were outscored by what is that? Um, 183? Yeah. That's basically doubled. They got yeah. du- basically got doubled up. That is massive. Yeah, that's that's massive, Chris. For a, for a power five football team, when does uh, spring practice start? You know? No, I don't. This is the point where I feel compelled to say we started out with Carson Fulmer, and you could have kept me throwing throwing me softballs, man. If that's what you want, then I can do that. I'm just having some fun with you right now because I don't know what else to do right now. <laughs> it's okay, Chris. Everybody, you know what the good news is for you is that you're in the right company because neither does anybody else. No, you know, but you know, but at the same time, you know, if we can ride, if we can make it through this, man, if we can get through all this, and, and there is something better on the other side, boy, it's going to be a beautiful day. I mean, I, it seems almost virtually impossible because like I told you, we're doing something that nobody else has to do. We're actually having to fight our own institution who, uh, for some reason, joys mocking its own fans for some reason, but that is what it is. But I don't know, man. I mean, I just never seen it like this before. I haven't either it's being exaggerated. I think it's legit. I don't. And, and I think that there's not a fan base in the, in, in the universe and in, in any sport in any location, you know, that really can handle it any better. You know, I just think that you've got a collective group of people that just really no longer have any answers and they just want somebody to do something, you know, and and, and I guess I, they, I guess they want a response from the university that says we give a damn one way or the other about you. I don't know if it's ever coming. 
The one-year anniversary of Malcolm Turner at Vanderbilt is next week. It's February the 1st, which, man, a year has flown by. And, again, I think the way you get through stuff is, is to look around the corner at better things. And the way I'm getting through this right now, honestly, is baseball because that's going to be fun to cover. There are not a lot of landmines there. There are great stories. And, again, as I've said, that is my favorite sport. So I'm just kind of trying to think every day, okay – it's going to be not very long. In fact, we will roll out our preseason coverage pretty soon, which will be a nice distraction from all this. So th- that's there. But I think back to a year ago, okay? And you think, well, it, it doesn't get any worse than 0-18 in basketball in the SEC and losing 20 in a row. And then you get a coaching change, which gives you a little bit of a lift. And, and I thought, well, the AD change, they're saying the right things all these things, and here we are a year later, and somehow it's gotten worse, and the path is hard to see. I think it is the fact that everybody thought the burden was about to be lifted and that it couldn't get any worse, and yet it did. And that was, I think that's where everybody's sort of hung up. And I I think one of the issues is because, I mean, look, especially with Aaron Neesmith going down, you know, from a – coaching standpoints, there's only so much that Jerry Stackhouse we can do. It, I'll just ask you this. Personnel being exactly what it is right now, if you could magically replace Jerry Stackhouse tomorrow with Bruce Pearl, who's as good a coach as there is out there, could Bruce Pearl extract an SEC win out of this team or more, more than multiple SEC wins with the exact personnel that they have right now? The only way anybody is beating anybody with this team is if they shoot 19% from the field or something like that on the other side. I mean, you're going to have to, if you're going to get wins, you're going to have to get a really bad performance out of the other guy. Get that, that, is, that is not where my focus is at all. I mean, th- this year in basketball is, at this point, it's about do they get a win somewhere to snap the streak? And other than that, most of it's immaterial, whether they, it's, it's if they can develop players. Again, my, my concern, as I've been saying for a long time, has nothing to do with this year because he gets a pass. It's it's can they recruit, and they're so far behind on that right now. There's my question when, when it comes to Coach Stackhouse. I'm just not going to put hold much against him coaching-wise this year. And I know in the last couple of days, David has, uh, has wrote, written a couple of articles about some uh, some new offers. I think there was even a couple today, but I think they're like the class of 21 and 22, guys that are so like sophomores and juniors in high school. So even if we dig them, they're nowhere near being here and, and, and competing for this team. That's if they were to get them. Uh, but they were some pretty high-ranking offers, but – uh, I listen to you and George and, and some of the other stuff and some of the talk lately on the board is just that the uh, lack of a real approach, a real fundamental recruiting, what's the word I'm looking for? Outline. Plan? It, it, yeah, a plan of some kind, if you will. Because I'll be out, look, I don't care how many years you've played basketball in the NBA, I don't care who you are, how you can't know that recruiting is everything in collegiate athletics and nowhere more so than in college basketball where you flip your roster every single year. You know, think about it like this. Think about if John Calipari and Mike Krzyzewski, guys like that who, I mean, specialize in one and done. I'm not saying that we need to make our livings, uh, livings there, but what if they, they focused on nothing but player development? 
Oh, that would be a disaster. How could you possibly think that, I mean, of all the people that are showing you the blueprints to do it, it's the top programs. And they go out and they do everything they possibly can. Clearly, we've seen that with all the cheating to get the best possible players that it's, I mean, and you know how I am about player development, especially in football. I talk about it all the time. So when you return, when you're turning things over a year after year after year like that, and you really think that you're going to literally do it with a bunch of subpar players and, and, and you, and you can just get average high school players. And you think to yourself, I don't even really need to go out there and actively beat every bush out there, which at this point, Jerry Stackhouse and David Grace and, and that entire staff, that's all they should be focused on right now is turning over every conceivable stone and sniffing around to see anybody got anything at this point that could help this program to do anything less than that right there to me is utterly irresponsible and it's the only knock that i have on stack because i think he's all right as a coach uh but i I think they just kind of are nonchalant about the recruiting process and there is zero chance that i would hire any they had all these people they got one guy doing the recruiting are you kidding me you know i I need an, an, an analyst for this and a specialist for this you need recruiters dude, who are out there beating the bush and get these players in here, then you can develop them. But, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to take people that are not SEC players and and putting them up against one of the stoutest conferences in the entire country at this point. You think that your player development alone, you think they're not developing their players too? Of course they are. But the clay they're using is much, much more suitable and conducive for success. That needs to be his absolute 100% focus right now. And it just seems like it's just something, you know, just something on the list that he's got to eventually do just to get the numbers there. You just got to do it, Chris. It's, 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 and first of all, if you're going to be in this business and you're going to do that, it's not a matter of you've got to do it. My God, you should want to do it. You should be passionate about it. It's an opportunity. You know, we have the chance to go out and get the piece of the puzzle that can come in and change everybody's fortunes. And you look at the recruiting like it's just something. Come on. That'd be your number one, number one priority right now. Not even, and number two is not even close. Okay, I'm going to rewind kind of how they got there. And and then I am going to give you something for hope because I do see a path for him, okay? I see okay. I actually see a path for basketball whereas I don't so much for football. And here it is. This is what just bugs me to no end about Vanderbilt. It's the, the cute way that they do things, okay? Again, they, they had all these ADs lined up. And, and this this is not critical of Malcolm Turner or Jerry Stackhouse as people or who they are. Not even saying they can't be good at their jobs, but this is the situation that Vanderbilt puts itself in. And I pointed this out in the spring, and I don't think a lot of people really understood it at the time, but now you kind of see it play out. You bring a guy into an AD, a place that has no plan and no direction, and he's never been an AD before. In life, a lot of times we can make mistakes and get ourselves off track and extinguish opportunities we have before we even have a chance to get going. And sometimes you pick yourself up later and you lose a job or you move on and you figure out, but you've blown that first chance. 
You are always at risk when you put somebody in a situation like that. You're at risk when you hire Malcolm Turner if you're Michigan or Florida, right? But when you're Vanderbilt, that like multiplies the risk times 100. So you put a guy in a spot where not only do you not even know where the the landmines are, you don't even know what a landmine looks like. He walks into that. The Drew situation is coming unglued. He makes a change as head coach. Again, I don't, I don't judge him for that at all. But if you bring in an established AD at that point who's got connections and contacts, his Rolodex of names, you know, he probably goes 100 deep before he gets to Jerry Stackhouse. Again, again, nothing against Stackhouse. But the process plays out entirely differently than it does. What Malcolm knows is those connections from the G League mostly. And and most people, when they make hires, make hires that they are comfortable with. Which, again, I totally get. So what happens is he hires Stackhouse late. So you got an AD who's never been inside his school, has no idea how the rules work. There's nobody else at Vanderbilt there to tell him how that works. They could have retained maybe Jake Diebler, but they didn't. He would have given them a pathway forward. I don't think that they knew what they had in Diebler. But they they chose to go elsewhere. So he gets in the job. He misses days right off the bat in the recruiting calendar where he's not on the road. He's in his office because he doesn't know any better. And again, you don't know what you don't know. I'm sure he would have been out there. But it's a case of you have that leadership layer where your boss doesn't know what's going on yet. And although you know basketball, you don't know that end of basketball and how that goes yet, right? Mm -hmm. So all you know from that end of basketball, you haven't been in the college game. You don't know assistants. I'm not saying Jerry doesn't know people, but he doesn't know them like Eddie Fogler does or Kevin Stallings did or anybody when they took the job here. Jan Van Bredekoff, you know, whoever. They had a working knowledge of things. Well, he's got to put together a staff quickly because he's got a recruiting class to sign in the fall. And he took his time with that, and he should have taken his time with that because he didn't He didn't know who to look for. He, I, I don't blame him for his process so much. It was a product of the situation. But now you sit here and... They they got a late start on that. They they were behind. You know, they're trying to find players as emergency fillers now for the fall to fill gaps. That could have been time they were spending more times on prospects that signed in November or on next year's class. So now he's behind on that too. And now I I, I know he's smart enough to figure out that, hey, I've got to get out there. But the, the thought on him all along – and we, we will see. I mean, if he wants to be here, he'll be here. But a lot of people were surprised he took that job because everybody viewed him as an NBA coach. And, of course, what approach did he take? He took the development approach because it's what he knows. And he hired a coach from the G League because that's what he knows and that's who he knows. And I don't blame him for thinking that the development was, was a part of it because it is. And, frankly, I thought he did a darn good job of that with the team he had while he had Neesmith out there. I was pretty impressed with that end of it. But the fact is, they've got this deficit of recruiting now, and it's all because of a product of a situation. Nobody would have ever done this like Vanderbilt, 
And because of that, you keep hitting floors as a program that nobody else would hit because nobody else would do a process like this. The whole thing this weekend, when people pointed fingers at him and the players, I think that they are focused on a very, very minute detail. The thing that that now is pertinent is how do they dig it out? Now, here's the thing. I do think he's smart. I think the players like him. Everybody that knows him likes him, and that includes me, and I don't know him that well. They are very closed off over there, and I think that's the thing that he needs to fix is I think it's easier to get people on your side when you were struggling and people know you. I think if people get to know Jerry, I think that helps him. I think that buys him more time. I think that keeps the Wolves at bay. I think that's one reason a lot of the ex-players were whining and griping this weekend because I don't know that it's been the open door in a lot of ways that it needs to. And when you know somebody you like them and your friends, you're less likely to to take to Twitter and those kind of things. That's another thing that I think he needs to, to fix. But I could see a path where he figures this out and he says, look, we've got to get that on recruit. We've lost some time. We're going to have to double down and make that up. We get out there, we beat the bushes. Everybody's going to have to stick with us through a couple of years, but we're going to play hard. We're going to be out there in the community. We're going to try to give you something to buy into and something to watch in some angle. And maybe he pulls a Kevin Stylings where the first few years were abysmal. But by the time Kevin had that senior class of Freegee, Lakey, Hunley, and those guys, they go to the Sweet 16 because they've been around that long. I think that there is a path there with him. I think he's bright enough to figure it out. But again, there's just no time to waste. Yeah, no doubt. Now, um, this team next year, what's the, what's the cat's name? Uh, is it Harvey, the cat from Notre Dame? Yeah. In a pretend world, you got Harvey, who should be a significant contributor next year. Let's just say that, and I know the plan is for Cleveland to try to come back this year and not next year, but let's just pretend like that's not the case and it's next year. And maybe Aaron doesn't hear what he needs to hear, though I can't imagine. And I mean, because you know how I am. I, I I feel like if a prospect is where he is, you know, unless he's got significant room to to change something, I think Aaron Neesmith is who he is. He's a scoring. He's a scorer. Uh, he's a long scorer in the NBA. Dude can shoot. Good dude can finish. He's a, he's a very good NBA player, uh, at least prospect-wise. And, and you start looking at us and say, well, what if this team next year had Cleavon Brown and Harvey and Aaron Neesmith and Senior uh, and Saban Lee and, you know, you know Pippen Jr. is a sophomore and some of these things. Then all of a sudden, that almost looks like a roster that's not going to, you know, make the NCAA tournament, but that starts winning some SEC games. If Neesmith comes back, and I don't think he will, but just for sake of your argument, he comes back, if Brown red shirts, again, that's contradicting what I'm hearing, but just if it is, they add Harvey, who wasn't a, a very efficient shooter at Notre Dame, and that's my concern about him. But you put him in there with Lee and Neesmith and those guys, throw Brown in there. You figure Obina is going to develop a little bit more. They get a little bit more out of the guys that return just because kids get better. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden that's a path to where, you know, some things go right, they make the NIT maybe. Maybe if it goes crazy well, they sneak into the NCAs. I just, I would love for you to be right on that because that gives me a, a path to something other than this. Yeah. And then, of course, the name we neither one of us mentioned, but, you know, and I, I think he still has a long way to go, but he has potential and he clearly has length. Uh, he, he, 
kind of lumbers a little bit to me, and maybe you don't agree with that, uh, and that's DeSue. He's shown potentials, had a couple double-doubles early in his freshman year, and he's got potential. Just I'm not sure just what he would specialize in just yet, but he plays hard. You know, and then he's got length, and he he's capable of shooting from the outside. I'd I'd like to see him be a little bit more versatile in his game, uh, and getting to the rim, maybe getting on the block. He'd have to get a little more weight to do that, I think. But you know, I mean, he's not without potential. Well, the one thing we can't do is waste scholarships on players who are clearly, at best, you know, the seven, you know, the eight, nine, ten. You know, and everybody has bench players. I get that, but they a lot of times those are guys who had plenty of potential, but they just got a stacked roster in front of them. We can't be littering this roster with people who are clearly not major college basketball prospects. No, um, and again, that again, that's where he was between a rock and a hard place, right? Because he had to take a chance on some of those guys like Wright and Yankovic just because they needed bodies, and and that's where I felt like even before he spent his first day in his office. That's where I felt like this was really going to be an uphill battle for him on top of everything else. Yeah. Of course, you know, and with the, I'll tell you the thing about, right. I mean, I would he'd say he's over, you know, overly talented uh, in that sense, but I mean, he's got some skills and he's, he plays hard. You know, I could see a guy like that by the time he's a junior being a real contributor to this basketball team, like a, a you know, six man off the bench coming in and and and, and giving you eight, eight and six a game. I, and I could live with that. I don't know that that's one. I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing the skills there. You know, well, I mean, you know, he he's a freshman, Chris. He, he He's a freshman. He, he's got a chance to grow and, 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 and develop his game. He is not void of talent. You know, there, there are some of their that just, you, you know, they're never going to do anything. I'm not going to say that, that, that Jordan Wright can't, it falls into that category. Again, I don't know that he's ever a full-time starter or anything, you know, or unless out of necessity or anything, but I, I think he can be a meaningful part of that bench going forward. I guess by the time we air this, the Alabama game will have been played. Hey, Hey, didn't they just beat Auburn? Uh, I think so. Yeah, oh, I'm sure Badly. we'll win. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm, why not? I'm, I'm, <laughs> we're probably gonna win, to be honest with you. <laughs> probably big. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, at this point, I just feel bad for Bama. I think we all feel bad for Bama. You know, we're all saying this stuff. You know, it's acting as if this team couldn't beat a community rec center team, but golly, Bill, I mean. Don't you ever just feel snake bitten sometimes? I mean, this team, I mean, look, they gave the the SMU game away. They did. But, you know, what is our conversation to, this afternoon if they hold on and beat SMU? You know, and we remember the way they played the Auburn game. And what if Neesmith doesn't go down? Maybe we're having a whole big, fat, different discussion at this point. Let me ask you this. Ask me this. Would you just take one random win at some point in the schedule and call it a day just so that streak is over and nobody has to talk about it anymore. Would I take it as yeah. opposed to what? Well, as, I mean, losing? in other words, would you t- rather take one win or just whatever's behind door number two, which is play out the season as it is? 
Uh, well, I mean, door number two only is going to be extremely limited. <laughs> you know, two. I mean, this, this team can't possibly win more than one SEC game that I can see. You never know, uh, but that would be highly unlikely. Yeah, man. And I want it. And you know what else, Chris? I want it for these. I want it for these boys. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they're still out there lifting all the time and running and and trying to get this thing done. It's 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 not for one effort on their part. Yeah, man. I mean, think about this for a second, Chris. Think about working your butt off, training, getting up early, lifting weights, running, doing stairs, stadium steps, all this other stuff, practicing, uh, getting barked at all the time, watching film sessions, and losing every time you go out. You know, it makes you just want to not do it. But when you go yeah. out there, and even if you know, look, yeah, we win tonight, we're probably going to get blown up by 30 the next game. Man, you got to have something to look forward to. I do feel really bad for those kids. And the one that I feel the worst for is Saban Lee because he's now two years in a row, I'd say at least half the games, he's up there facing the media after games. And this is, this is 24 of these in a row now. And you get the same questions. And, and it's already bad enough to have to go through that and, and then come and do that afterwards. And I know he doesn't want to be there. But, man, hats off to that kid. He's the one that had to sit there and take the questions about the streak after they'd been booed. That was a really tough spot. And th- that was one of those, that, like, if I'd seen him in the hallway afterwards, I would have I would have said, man, i got a lot of respect for the way you handle it. Because he's the one. You never lose sight of the fact that you're covering kids. Of course not. But we don't talk about that on the podcast much. And that's one thing that I'm sitting there, I'm watching these guys, is I'm doing my job, I'm thinking, man, I feel so badly for them having to keep doing that. And and it's one thing to, to live it the way they do just on the court, but like you said, they put in so much time and effort. You know, and then they look and they see nobody's coming to the games anymore, and God help them if they read the message boards and, and, and social media. Yeah, it's got to be tough. So, yeah, I would definitely take that win for them, just for them to be able to experience that, to not have to sit there. and Because, I mean, nobody ever even finished winless in the conference before last year, right? I think 52-53 Georgia Tech did, but it's been a while. Nobody's ever done it in the era of as many games as they play now. And they're staring straight in the face. They're staring at doing it two years in a row. That's almost impossible. I mean, it's just, it shouldn't even be possible. So, I mean, yeah, I need them boys to to taste that victory in a conference game, you know, because they work their butts off and it sucks. And most of this, this is not their own volition. You know, the other side of the coin is, like I said, we've had some crap luck. I mean, 14 months ago, we were trying to see where we could squeeze some minutes in for Saban Lee. Yeah. You know, you, you know what I mean? And, and now it's like he's one of the only people who can dribble the ball in the front court. I've got the um, uh, obligatory mailbag question if you want to do that. I think you've already answered it, but we're going to do it anyway. The obligatory mailbag. I mean, there's only one question. There's only one question. Uh, The answer is yes, I would, and Anne Hathaway. (laughs) Okay, we'll see how that pairs with with what was asked. Our mailbag is sponsored by Mark Jen of Simply a Fan. Mark is getting together baseball trips for the coming season, including one for the MLB4 tournament where Vandy opens its season in Arizona. Visit simplyafan.com for more information. Mr. Vandy says, since you've been a Vandy fan, have you ever seen times as hard as they are right now? No, nothing even close to it. 
Yeah. You know, nothing even remotely close to it, because as as down as I've ever been, football-wise, was the year, you know, right after the Stephen Rivers Ole Miss thing, you know, and the Temple game was like, my God, what have we gotten ourselves into? But, you know, now it's basketball, too. Mr. Vandy, it's do I have the right AD? I mean, is is the new chancellor going to give a flip about athletics or are we just doomed? There's not a lot of answers. Now, like I said, I have to believe that change is kind of, you know, and, I, and look, change is constant. That's for sure. Now, the good news is, I mean, Chris, you know, there's truly, there truly is nowhere to go but up. It can't be worse than this, you know, from a football and basketball standpoint, this is as bad as it gets. You know, we're Southwest Louisiana, whatever it was with Adam, Adam Sandler. Remember when, before he joined the team, there was eight people in the stands and they were all drunk as they could be, you know, cause they were so miserable. But, you know, there was always at least something to cling to like, well, the basketball team would be pretty good, you know? Uh, but in this case, it's tough on both ends and I just, and, and up in the athletic department. And I don't know where the answers are coming from because I don't know if anybody up there cares at all. Well, you can make lecturing us on how we're supposed to handle ourselves. Well, then you need to deliver on your ends, you know, because I got news for you. There is no fan base in America. You didn't like the reaction too bad. The reaction you got was five million times more mild than you would get at the 13th ranked SEC team in this conference, much less the rest of it and all over America. You know, it, I mean, frankly, I th- I think that, that lifelong Vanderbilt fans who have made it through it that are still along today deserve some type of medal because they're cut from an extraordinary cloth that frankly, 99% of fan bases just don't possess. I'll put it to you like this. I live in the middle of, not even in the middle, in the western portion of Tennessee. I live in West Tennessee, Chris. And while Tennessee still certainly rings the day, we are inundated by a bunch of quote, unquote, Alabama fans here who couldn't tell you who their basketball coach is if you had a gun to their head. They're not really Alabama fans. They're fans of winning. And I get it. It's the nature of people. But this fan base here, the people that have somehow stuck through all of this with a a university that has shown them very little, that they themselves even care whether this athletic department wins or loses, and yet they're still here, for those people – Man, it's Miller time, man. They 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 deserve a break today and every other commercial cliche that you can think of, you know. But to answer your question, has it ever been this bad for me? No. This is the worst I've ever seen it. Well, I'm going to close with one thing, and this does not reflect the opinions of the people inside Vanderbilt Athletics because I think a lot of those people very much care. The day that the university stops acting as if it is above its fans – that they don't even deserve to be addressed or have their concerns heard or anything. I mean, at a university level is the time my opinion of those people starts going way up. I'm quite aware there are plenty of people over there in that athletic department that are as frustrated as you and me and the rest of this fan base. 
and there's only so much that they can do. And I'm not talking to them. And I hope they understand that. And Chris isn't either. That's not who we're talking to. You can only do what you can do. It's the rest of those sap suckers who abhor athletics or simply look down at this fan base, you know, down their nose as, as if we don't matter. And maybe we don't. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in the grand scheme of things, uh, we, we don't matter. Uh, but, you know, I've made it 47 years. I'm sure I'll make it another 47. I'm not going anywhere. But it's time for answers. You know, I think Malcolm Turner, you know, I met him at a football game. So I'm not saying I've never seen him at an event. But, Malcolm, you got to be there. You have to be, win or lose, you have to be at these games. The people that are there need to see you there, and your message needs to be loud and strong and with a clear plan. I, we can't just sit back and say, you know, have some people drop little crumbs and say, something's coming. We can't tell you what it is. We don't know when it's going to be. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. But we're not going to tell you anything. And you just need to sit back and wait on it. Well, that's not reality. That ain't the way it works. You can't tell somebody who hasn't eaten a san- eaten anything in 10 days, well, you're going to get something eventually. That doesn't really help them out very much. We need answers. If anybody over there has any interest in this fan base staying together at all, what, what is left of it, then you need to step up to the plate and you need to provide answers and you need to provide direction and show people something to give them hope that something's coming. You know, I'm saying it because just, I mean, we've got nothing left. That's all there is. That's what I have to cling to. But for, but for them to think that it can just, you know, because they have to know the situation and they have to listen to the, the, the sports talk and the, and the, and the radio and the internet there in Nashville and middle Tennessee, they know how we feel. I'm quite sure of that, but to just not you know, I'm not saying you can come back and respond to message board posts, but you know what I'm talking about, Chris. Uh, you know, the, the one positive thing is the matching of that $5 million uh, gift from the from the alumni, I think from Seattle, I think it was. Uh, and, and, and that was great. You know, that that's wonderful. But we need to see your plan for this future. If this, Because God knows the on-field and on-court things are not going to be able to solidify this thing. We need some type of direction somehow. There's no way you would make an academic plan like this. No way you would make a business model like this. You need to treat the athletic department and the athletic plan with the same type of fervor that you would attack the other things. Because if you don't, what you're saying is our our mission statement is hypocritical at best. Yeah, well, we could do another podcast about that, but we won't. Mm-hmm. We could. <laughs> and maybe we're, we're left with. We oh, Doors fans, it's going it's to get better. It, it, it is. It is. We're going to uh, – here's what's going to happen, Chris. You ready for this? In 2023, in his senior year, Ken Seals is going to lead the Commodores over Tennessee – in the final game to clinch the SEC championship where they will play <laughs> Arkansas in the SEC championship. Uh, and Jerry Stackhouse in his fifth year uh, will lead the Commodores to their second straight regular season SEC title. And 
get them to the elite eight and they lose on a half court buzzer beater bank off the backboard to Hofstra 74 to 73. Oh, and, uh, and Tim Corbin takes the San Diego Padre job. <laughs> With that, I'll let you go. Tell people where they can find your show and your Twitter handle, please. Uh, well, right now you can find me uh, uh, through the looking glass. Uh, you can find me at, at Cheap Seats Bass on Twitter. You can listen to the show 6 to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday, 101.5 in Jackson, Tennessee, my friend. See you later, buddy. Bye, buddy. Hey, Seabass, I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We have more episodes coming your way very soon.